The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. All right, quickly open your Bible to the book of John. I want to continue what we began to speak about last time from there. Like I said earlier, last time I switched um, channels briefly, even though the same spirit is still being expressed. So many things the Lord wants us to know. We saw last time, reading from Revelation, the message of Jesus, that he does not like lukewarmness. Whatever I want to do, we have to make sure. The truth is that that's why I reason. I said in this life, I must live for something. I must live for something. There are times in life, maybe things want to make you regret. I said, I'm not regretting anything. I just have to live for what I believe and live for it totally. And every day, I strive to live stronger for that which I really believe. Jesus needs it. He will overcome the beast, the Bible says, because he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. And what that means is not just that he's lord over lords, that is like uh, he's bigger than the kings. No, what it means is that those who are with him are kings and they are lords. Now, what I want to bring out from there, if you see the beasts, the kings of the earth, we give their power and their authority to the beast, and with that he will wage war. In the same manner, the king of kings and the lord of lords to wage war on this earth effectively and be successful, he needs the power and the authority of his own kings and his own lords. If they are not fully committed to him, there is nothing he can do with their power and with their authority. That's why, I'm sorry to say, this is how God behaves. Please bear this in mind. Don't be scared by it. It's a matter of fact. This is how it behaves. He takes Israel into Egypt to keep them away from the iniquity of the Amorites. And then after a while, he raises Moses to go and bring them out. They had been there from the time he gave the covenant to the time Moses was bringing them out, about 400 and something years. And now he took him time to give Moses life, to bring Moses up in the palace of Pharaoh, and then for Moses to go into the promised land, into the wilderness, to be trained, and then to be called at the age of 80 to go and bring the people out. Then by 10 deeds of mighty works, of his mighty hand, he brought the people out of their captivity. So what do you find? Of course, you know about the Passover. Then he brought them through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, to the edge of the promised land. You will have thought that having invested this much, he will not let anything go wrong. Then he said, go in there. They said, we can't enter. He said, Moses, step back. I'm going to destroy all of them. I, you know, I drew this story for us again, for us to know the investment he had made. But that did not stop him from desiring to destroy everybody. His covenant, his promise, his plan, what will happen? He said, Moses, from you, I will raise another nation. Now, that was going to take another many hundreds of years. But he didn't mind. It was Moses that was bothered. He did not mind. It was Moses that was concerned. Like I say to us all the time, God does not do demo. You know what they call demo? Let me scare them. No, when he said that, he meant it. He will have done it. If Moses had stood back and said, God, go ahead, do as you wish, he would have destroyed everybody, and then he will start again. Moses will have settled somewhere, and he will have begun to raise another generation of Israelites. For them to come to that mass again was not going to be 10 years. It was not going to be 20 years. It was not going to be 50 years. I don't know how many hundreds of years will pass. From the time he gave the commandment, the covenant to um, 
um, Abraham till that point was 430 years gone by. I assume another 400 years will follow. But he doesn't care. But that which he proposed to do, he will do it and it has to be perfect. It has to be perfect. What am I going to explain? Don't, no, many of us Christians don't understand. We can't give God something that is half done I will accept. If he does not like the Christianity we are practicing, he will wipe it out. Then raise a few people again to start. In the interval, so that the people... I don't know why do I keep saying this. In the interval, so that the people will not be totally corrupted. You must understand, what he gives is certain lower level covenants and religious practices, which you commonly call Islam. Because if something like Islam holds sway, a lot of this rubbish that's going on in Europe will not happen. Under them, the land cannot be that polluted. There's a kind of pollution they will not accept. It's God's halfway measure. As I last week, something struck me. No, wait, no, so I read the news yesterday. Two nurses, Christian nurses, they refused in Sweden. Midwives are trained to perform abortions. In most of the rest of the world, it's only doctors that are trained to do it. In Sweden, they train midwives to do it. So two nurses took a job, and they said, we will not do it. So they fired them. So they went to court. They lost in court. They went to a higher court. They lost again. Finally, they took their case to the European uh, Court of Justice. And those ones said, your firing was in order. You must do abortions if you want to practice as a nurse in Sweden. And I said, you know what's going to happen? It will spread all over Europe. And then the law will definitely spread to the gynecologists. So basically, if you're a doctor in Europe, you have to do things you don't believe, no matter what you claim you believe. Or you don't practice medicine, you do not practice midwifery. God said, that is why I give them Islam. Just <laughs> some of this madness? No, they won't condone it. So bear that in mind. There are all kinds of rubbish the world condones. God said, no. If I, look, I know how to handle it. Some of the places we call Christian in northern Nigeria, I have people who live there. Hey, one of my bro- bro- our brothers in Kaduna, he said if they divide Nigeria, Kaduna into northern Kaduna and southern Kaduna, he's a Christian, he said, I am packing to northern Kaduna. He said, because to live with the southerners is too risky, and they are the supposed Christians. One of my brothers in Abuja said, it is safer in Abuja to do business with allergies. That when you deal with Christians, it's risky. You can shout all you want. If you know how God God reasons, you be careful. He reasons differently. So sometimes he will take a whole country, a whole segment of a continent, and turn them to Islam. And say, Banky, don't cry. 500 years will take me to raise a pure church in the entire Let's these jokers that call themselves Christians that go to church, who will be debating in church whether they should ordain homosexual bishops, telling me that what Paul wrote, he wrote because the time he was living in. As if Paul did not live after Sodom and Gomorrah. Because <laughs> look, look, he said, Listen, all these people are making noise, they are killing Christians. He said, what, do, you, do you know what I do? I wipe them out myself, except they get up and give me what is pure. 
Jesus says, I did not die for this nonsense. To produce people who use my, who claim to be mine, yet people will say, I will never do business with them. God said, instead of that persisting as a reputation, I will wipe everybody out. Give it any name you like. Go to do your politics, complain, go to United Nations. When they are dead, they are dead. We used to say, plenty churches are better than plenty beer palaces. Jesus said, who said so? Where did you read that I said so? I never said so. I said I prefer hot church or hot beer parlor. The one that we don't know whether it is church we came to or beer parlor we came to, that one I don't want. I would rather there be no church at all. So when they call my name, they don't live according to my tenets. I sell their buildings to, 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 to Muslims. It becomes mosques. So they remove my name from that nonsense. I feel better. Let's get the mind of Christ, though. Let's get it right. That is how he reasons. And that this nonsense, some of you preach, I will start dealing with you one by one. If you don't stop preaching the rubbish, some of you preach. What is it that you preach? You tell me that my grace covers everything. So you keep living like you are sinners. I will watch you for a while. After a while, if you don't repent, I will kill you. You can be reading your Bible to say I don't kill. When you're dead, you will find out. <laughs> you can be arguing. Your arguments will not change what I'm going to do. Did you not read Paul saying it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? Judge yourself so that you will not be judged. That's what he said. <laughs> that because the judgment of God is not easy. It's not funny. When he said it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. For the Lord our God is a consuming fire. He was writing to Christians. And these people were under persecution. And he was saying that don't let persecution make you deny your faith. Please, eh? Like isn't it we say on radio that I preach the fear of God. And yes, I think I like the title. Fear God. Because he's about to comfort with his judgment against impure Christianity. Many of us have been expecting him to judge Islam. Judge corrupt politicians. God said, no, no, I take my things step by step. My judgment begins in my house. Because I have to be just when I execute my judgment. Nobody should look at me and say I'm partial. Like when I deal with my children first, <laughs> then the rest of the world will know that they don't have any chance. One of our sisters, you know, used to be very here with us in Kingdom World. She was my student. Very close to me, everybody knew. Then results came out and she failed my own course. So I told her, I said, you have increased my standing in this faculty. That's what I told her. So everybody now knows that if you can fail, anybody can fail. You had better go read. <laughs> I said, now everybody will know. Because it was still my early days in the university. I said, now they will know. So that's what God does. In the, spirit, in the spiritual realm, he has to be just. So like I said to us before, what grace does... It's not to cover our nonsense. Grace is to empower us to do right. Grace is the empowerment to do right. He said the law came by Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. You will see, many things happen under the old covenant. They will say to them, eh, 
What if this woman annoys me? What am I supposed to do? God said to Moses, tell him to give a certificate of divorce. Let her go. And they watched David marry the first wife, the second wife, the third wife, the fourth wife, the fifth wife, the sixth wife, the seventh wife, the eighth wife, the ninth wife. As an old man, he wasn't feeling well. They said the women are not fresh again. They went and got another one, added to it. Among these ones that have counted, there were many concubines. When he ran away from home, he left his concubines behind to man the palace. And God said nothing. In fact, the Bible says that he pleased God in everything, apart from the case of Uriah the Hittite. Solomon went and learned a bad lesson from his father. There's what we call a medicine gene amplification. He amplified, ramped up the activity of his father's genes. Just like um, Rehoboam said later, my father's waist is the size of my small finger. It was Solomon that began it. My father's waist is the size of my small finger. How many was he married? He said, sir, 25. He said, good. That's for a man the size of my small finger. He increased it in. 700 wives and concubines. And God said nothing, even though he was absolutely displeased by all of this. That's where I'm going. He didn't like it for one moment. He said, look to Abraham, your father. And Sarah that I gave birth to you. He said, when he was one, I called him. He saw them as one. The same Solomon opened his mouth. He said, rejoice with the wife of your youth. All of them recognized that monogamy is the order of the day. Of course, when they asked Jesus, why? He said, <laughs> Let me, I want to use two words. First, the words the Lord Jesus used, and then my own words. I want to explain it better. He said, but because of the hardness of your heart. Let me put another expression to it. Because of the weakness of your soul. That was why he allowed you to do all of those things. Paul said, that was times past. Now, he's commanding every man to repent. Why is he commanding them to repent? Because grace has now been made available in Christ Jesus. So no matter how crazy I become, I can't marry a second wife. Do you know why? Because grace is made available in Christ Jesus. That's the meaning of grace. Grace says, listen, Banky, see, don't look at David. Though. Just don't look at David. Like I say all the time, listen, God overlooked something. Does not mean he blessed it. Did you hear what I said? God overlooked something. Does not mean he blessed it. David suffered the consequences of his actions. There is what is called the just recompense of reward. David suffered it. You can't have that number of wives and have a peaceful home. So he did not have it. God overlooked. He winked out like the Bible says. But the consequences are still yours. He that sows to the flesh, grace or no grace, will from the flesh reap corruption. Solomon, um, David reaped it in abundance. Had a house where everybody was a rival to everybody. If you go and see the attitude of Bathsheba when she came on board, she went to David. Did you not say, My son will reign? It is whose son will reign? <laughs> the house was not easy. Why do you think David was weak at the age of 70? 
My mother is 80. When she comes to Enugu, she walks around the whole of Independence layout. Who's talking about my mother? Let's go back to his own grandfather, Jacob. Those, who's talking about Jacob? What about Caleb? Um, um, Caleb, 85 years old, he tossed his sword. He said, Joshua, if you are ready, me will demonstrate. Leading charge, leading a charge against giants. At the age of 85, 70, they said, let the light of Israel be quenched. David should not come to war. He said, the Bible says, you know what happened? He had given his strength to those women. That was it. He, God loved him. But the consequence of the unnatural behavior stuck with him. Now, I'm talking about Jesus. When he now came, he said, I loved David quite all right. But guys, I had to love David because that was all he could do with the amount of weakness that was in his flesh. So I've brought grace that he did not experience. Therefore, I say to you, your righteousness must surpass that one prescribed by the Pharisees. He wasn't comparing us with the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He was describing the righteousness prescribed by the Pharisees. So David said, I will never take another person's wife. That, is a, that was a law that David understood. And he tried to keep it apart from the case of Uriah the Hittite. Remember that one? But Jesus said, so will you not give somebody else's husband to somebody else? Did you catch that? I will not take somebody else's wife. That was the commandment of David. Then Jesus now came and said, just like you will not take somebody else's wife, you think that's righteousness, I am now commanding you that you will not give your wife's husband to somebody else. You're not catching that. That you're not the only one. All right? That is like, it's not just you. It's not the wife that, okay, I want to somebody. No, what you want to call? You want somebody else to collect somebody else's husband. Which is exactly what you are doing when you marry a second wife. Yes. You were somebody's husband. Then the girl has now taken somebody's husband. So Jesus said, that's my new commandment. Please, you can go and read my, I have, a, I have an article on it on my website. The, the monog- if I, it's not one of our books. I don't know what, what one of them. The Doctrine of Monogamy. Anytime I get it, I always try to add something. The one that must be a husband of one wife is not the doctrine of monogamy. You know that one in the Bible? That Paul wrote to Timothy and to Titus, that the deacon must be a husband of one wife. That's not monogamy was preaching. That's something else. He was saying that he must not humanize. Monogamy goes beyond that. He includes that. Now, why I'm, why I'm saying that quickly is that some people will now tell you that I'm not a deacon. That that commandment is for deacons. Deacons are not supposed to take... More than one wife. But since I'm not a deacon, I'm free. It's a misreading of what Paul was saying. Paul said literally, a deacon, an elder, must be a man of one woman. His emphasis, just like he said, he must not be given to wine. He must not be quarrelsome. I hope you get my point. He must not be dishonest. In the same manner, he said he must not be given to women. He must be a man of one woman. Greek does not have another word for husband and wife. You have to interpret it in the context in which it was used. So he said he must be a man of one woman. That his wife must never come to church to explain that my husband has a girlfriend. But I'm going to say something here. That's what I'm trying to say. The meaning of grace. Grace empowers us to do that which is not natural. 
It empowers us to do that which is not natural. And it is what grace produces in our lives that Jesus is looking for. That grace is not a cover for sin. That's my emphasis. It is not the manner by which I remain saved, even though I continue to walk in iniquity. I am convinced today, more than yesterday, that a lot of people that go to church today, they are not saved. They give offerings, they are not saved. They are in the choir, they are not saved. They pastor branches, they are not saved. They go on missions, they are not saved. That one, I did not believe it so much before. Because before, I also believed that once you believe, you are saved. Until I began to understand, what's the meaning of belief? Demons also believe, are they saved? That means believing has different types, has different, you know, categories. James said, if the faith is dead, can it save? So he said, how do you know faith that is alive? Check the works it is producing. Why I said what I said is because I see a lot of rubbish works around. I see a lot of it. I see a lot of it. I mean, how can a man say he's saved? He's looking for spiritual power and he joins a cult. Is he saved? If he was saved, he lost the salvation because you have to deny the lordship of Jesus for Satan to give you power. And if anybody tells that no Christian can lose his salvation, tell him I said he knows nothing. It's a popular doctrine. It's out there. That doctrine is false. It is false. It is false. Except the New Testament I have is not true. Because I brought it up, let me read a few scriptures for you. Just two. Just two. But to let you know that many people follow Jesus and they are not saved, Jesus said it himself. Many will come to me in the last day. And say, did you not prophesy in your name? But I will say to them, I never knew you. No wonder Paul said, walk out your salvation with fear and with what? Trembling. Not with confidence. It's with what? Fear and trembling. Some say, no. <laughs> no. Jesus, Paul said, hey, if you think you are standing, take heed lest you fall. He said, walk out your salvation with fear and with trembling. He's not understand. I used to wonder before. These scriptures are so clear now. That how can people be walking miracles in his name and they will come to him? They couldn't have been lying that time. And he said, I never knew you. He said, you worker of iniquity. If you see the kind of rubbish iniquity that we walk in churches. One of our brethren told me something once. I said, go and repent. You need to be forgiven. They said in their church, today pastor is going to call people to give money. So all you leaders, your leaders, pastors, deacons and all of that, when they call two million, you will stand up. Ah. Now somebody said, excuse me, please excuse me. Why would I stand up that I want to give two million? I don't have two million. He said, no, 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 you don't have to pay it. Just to encourage the rest of the people. And this was a leader's meeting. Leader's meeting. You workers of iniquity. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm not talking about people are falling into sin. These people are not, they are not saved. They are not Christians. 
They now started arguing with you that repentance is not there for salvation. Who told you that lie? That what the Bible says is faith. Once you believe you are saved. I said that gives demons also are saved. Because I said Paul did not know. He was not aware that this argument will ever come up. So when he says with the heart you believe. He expected that the believing he's talking about is a genuine kind of believing. Not the clowning type. That all repentance people have. And somebody lies to them that they are saved because they come to church. That's why spiritual power vanished from the midst of us. Oh yes, it's vanished. It's hard to vanish. You know one of the reasons why it vanishes? It's safety. Because anytime God shows up, he shows up with two things. His kindness and his severity. He said, if I will walk miracles, I will also kill sinners. So let me not just do anything. Because if you invite me and I come into the midst of you, as I'm healing the sick, I'm killing the unrepentant ones. Mighty works by the hand of Peter and co. Killed Ananias and Sapphira. So let me stay away from your congregations. So you will pray. You will not see miraculous works. Why? Because when I come in, as I'm healing the sick, raising the dead, so am I knocking down the unrepentant ones into the grave? How will you like if I come to your church? The pastor says, praise the Lord. And I walk in and he drops down and he dies. That's not a joke. He does it. <laughs> I've read, read a few stories. He does it. One of his, many of his books, you know, many of the messages we have listened to, Kenneth Hagin told the story. He went to a church. He said, the Lord said to him, clearly, go to that church. He said, God, you know that's not my kind of church. He said, yes, I want you to go. He said, why? Because that pastor of that church will die. I need you to preach to him. Paradventure, he will repent and be saved. He said, go to the church. First week, he was preaching. The pastor, the host did not come. He was supervising the building project. So he started persuading the man. Please come. Now, his wife begged him. Please tell my husband to come. Make a long story short, the man did not come. Finally, he said he couldn't hold it. He shouted at him. Don't you know you are going to die? Let's make a long story short. The man said to him, "Uh huh. You don't understand. If I come for the meetings, I will have to admit you are right and I'm wrong. He said, I only invited you for my people's sake. Let them listen to you. They will be blessed. But if I sit down there, I'm admitting that you are right and I'm wrong. And he said to him, I would rather die than let that happen. Ken Hagen said, the next, after he finished that, the, the, the meeting in that church, he went to the next place. The next place he went to, <laughs> as soon as he arrived, he told the pastor, the church I'm coming from, next Sunday, the pastor will die on the pulpit. He said, I look at him like, what kind of crazy man have I brought to my church? But true to the word of the prophet of God, that man got up next Sunday, opened his Bible, opened your Bible to the book of, and he collapsed and he died, and they carried his corpse away from that pulpit. People of God, you know what the Lord is saying? Boko Haram, Boko Haram is not your problem. Islamic headsmen are not your problem. Coronavirus is not a problem. Face the real problems. 
Stop crying for a king. Stop looking for Saul. Take the Samuel I have given you. What is Samuel? The prophetic word that calls to repentance. That's what Samuel is. The prophetic word that calls to repentance. That's what Samuel is. You know, I was reading, well, both listening to and reading the book of Amos the other day. And I said, ah, this is our God is serious. You know what God said? They are calling for the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. He said, do you know what the day of the Lord is? He said, the day of the Lord is not pleasant. He said, you are having trouble. You are having trouble. So you call for the day of the Lord. So let me tell you how it is. It's like a man running away from trouble. He runs into his house. He closes the door. Rests on the wall. Then the serpent bites him. He said, the day of the Lord. Oh, you see trouble. You see the trouble. He said, oh, let the day of the Lord come. Let the day of the Lord come. He said, you don't understand. It's like a man running from a lion. Then the day of the Lord shows up. He falls into the hands of a bear. He said, don't ask for the day of the Lord. Go and repent. That was why John was preaching. So John said to them, hey guys, repent. Because the day of the Lord is at hand. They ran down for baptism. I'm tired of preaching prosperity to invite people to the kingdom. What I'm saying is this. Worse than coronavirus shall come. You know, the other day I analyzed it with my brethren. I was just thinking about it. I said, what is coronavirus? Everybody's making a lot of noise about coronavirus. Because before then, I just read my revelation again. And I realized that the Bible talks about the blowing of trumpets. That one angel will blow a trumpet. And then this calamity will happen. And I said, coronavirus is just one angel that has blown his trumpet. What is coronavirus? It's a, a virus of moderate, you know, pathogenicity, we call it. It doesn't kill many people. When they want to kill, they bring Ebola. What is coronavirus? Let me tell you about coronavirus for those of you who don't know. As of today, it's killing less than 0.5% of the people it infects. Most people it infects don't even know they got anything. They just sneeze two times and they forget. A lot don't even sneeze at all. Let me tell you about coronavirus. It kills only those who are elderly or who are already, who are already sick. But look at the effect of coronavirus. From yesterday, for 30 days, nobody can travel from Europe to the United States. Anybody landing in Israel now goes into quarantine automatically for 14 days. So you have to show them you're either an Israeli citizen so you can go home and be self-quarantined, or you show them that you can pay for a hotel room for 14 days. Italy is locked down totally. United States does not know the number of viruses uh, cases they have because they don't have enough testing kits. <laughs> Airlines are collapsing. Flyby went within a few weeks of coronavirus outbreak because of poor demand. I read it yesterday or early this morning. Br- British Airway has written to their staff that we are sorry, we have to lay people off. We don't have enough demand to keep you guys employed. Goods are scarce now all over the world. Because China, the hub of manufacturing, has slowed down drastically. I said one angel 
One. Only one. Hey. Not another one. Just one. Because of poor demand for air travel, even road travel, everybody staying at home, there's a massive reduction in demand for oil. So the price of Nigeria's number one export. Now, Saudi Arabia said, let's discuss, let's limit output. Russia said, why? I am not discussing with anybody. I'm not limiting output. Why? Because if I limit output, I will be blessing the Americans. American oil is difficult to, exp- to, 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 no, to drill, to mine. So they said, no, let them close. So price of crude keeps dropping because Saudi Arabia got angry and pump- increased its own pumping. So let us drown everybody with oil. It may look like a good thing, but for economies that depend on it, it's bad. For America, it's also bad. They have a huge population that depends on the market around oil. Now you are crashing their own oil because they, can't, they are not sustainable at that, do- that price. You need to be $50 and above for most of them to be profitable. So, stock market worldwide, shh, down. Only one in the blue trumpet. <laughs> Dollar has been 360 naira for how many years? In fact, we, we now think that 360 and $1 are married. <laughs> Every time you open the newspaper, you just see the, three, the 360-ness of it is so certain you were tended to borrow money in dollars. In a few days, 400, 420. I told my friend, dollar is now 420. He said it's not true. He said it is 470 in Benin if you can find it. I told myself, I said, one angel. Just one angel. Blew a trumpet. And it's not a strong one, no. Just blew one, one whistle. He never give you pa 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 pa. Yet there was a time a number of angels blew their trumpets. But then the fourth one blew, and eagle passed and said, "Woe, woe to the inhabitants on the of the earth." They said, "Why now?" He said, "The one you have seen is nothing. There are three more to blow." Listen to me. That was what John preached when he said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He did not ex- they did not expect the kingdom of God to come gently. Give your life to Christ. Oh, give your life to Christ. Let me rub your back. No. They knew to come with power. When it's coming with power, it is destroying his enemies. Not just the ones outside, also the ones inside. I looked at the coronavirus trumpet blowing angel. And I said, if you go and read your Bible, oftentimes another one will blow right after it. I said, God, please, which one wants to blow? Please. He said, you guys pray. There's a time one, <laughs> Amos, and I thought I was listening to him, reading Amos. Amos said, I saw the Lord preparing locusts. He said, I shouted, I said, Lord, how? How will Israel survive? For she's so small. I said, God, please, don't let it happen. And the Lord said, this one will not be. Sometimes we need to pray so that God will say, this one will not be. A prayer point you should pray when you get home is that, Lord, that was one angel trumpeting. Please, don't let another one blast anything. But people of God, he will do that. 
When I analyze that for people, I say we should pray. That there should be no plea. God said, wait, wait, why should I answer you? Why should I answer? They get up every morning and say, there's no God. You think I will keep quiet forever? Have you not read, when I withdraw my spirit, they expire. I want to withdraw my spirit, you are praying. Will you answer? I have no guarantee. One thing, however, we can do, if you want him to answer and stay the hands of plagues, you have to commit to evangelism, spreading the gospel, and stop being worldly. Why? The only people he has on the earth that can do anything is his church, is his people. Otherwise, coronavirus is small. I don't think it's new. It's not new. Corona is a small thing. Go and read about the Spanish flu. Yoruba still have a word for it. Ajakaliaron. That is the illness that covered all the lands on the earth. They never forgot. One man, they asked him how old he was. He quoted that the way he knew his age, because he was born long ago, that his mother told him was he born the year after Ajakaliaron. Immediately after the First World War. One India blew, and the horse came out and gave men power to kill themselves by war. As soon as it was done, another one blew his trumpets, and the Spanish flu covered the earth. Go and read about it. It had a heavier mortality rate than this one. I can't remember the percentage now. Much heavier. It's not new. There was a time smallpox used to wipe out. You travel out of town. You come back in one month. When you come back, half of the town is dead. It's not new. Plague used to do that. Bubonic plague. Pneumonic plague. It will enter a town and clean out one third of the people in one month. I was reading journalism that way. And John Gillick, different accounts. One of them said there was a time plague was killing people so fast. They did not have enough people to bury the dead. People were dying faster than graves could be dug. What am I, what am I going to say? I'm telling people of God, don't love the earth. Love not the world and the things that are inside the world. You know why? This is can perish. Pack all your money in banks. They can collapse. Some of the countries that people are running to do for salvation, I laugh. I laugh. You know the kind of laughter in my soul at people's foolishness. Please, you can't run anywhere for salvation. You can't. Only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. There is nowhere to run. There is nowhere. I'll be honest with you. This is my own perception. I'm not saying the Lord said, I'm not giving you any prophetic word. I'm giving you insightful word. Having studied scripture and studied life, this is my understanding. God said, just like I did to Judah and Israel, I had a nation Israel cut them into two. Then I allowed Assyria to take away the northern kingdom. But I gave the, north, the southern kingdom, Judah, some time, hoping they would repent. It took some hundred years for the next nation to vanish, to go into captivity. I'm going somewhere here. When I saw Brexit and that Britain exited from the European Union, this was what I saw. That Europe is about to experience the judgment of God. And God said, for all time's sake, I will treat UK the way I treated southern Judah, a southern Israel, that which is Judah. I will give them some time. But as per my judgment upon their northern brethren, the mainland Europe, 
a destruction is determined overflowing with righteousness. I don't have any doubt about it. When I read this news yesterday, I said, this is what we are saying. That two young women said, we are midwives, but we are Christians. We don't believe in artificially terminating pregnancies. It's against our faith. Something that United States holds tight. Donald Trump said, yes, if that's the way you want it, that's the way it's going to be. They said, even the Reverend Sisters cannot be compelled to offer contraceptives to their staff. That's United States for you. They have some hope. Europe said, no. Once you take the job of a midwife, you have to, listen to this, you know what they said? You have to offer total care. So killing the unborn baby is part of what? The total care. Now, Europe has gone mad. I don't know why you want to go there. You go and live in that place? No, find somewhere else to go. Do you know why? For years now, Europe is a place you can go and say, I'm tired of living. I want the doctor to kill me. They interview for some time. They say, when your decision, they show that you're not depressed. Your decision was articulately made. The doctor will arrive and kill you. And your family will be there saying, you know, we're happy that daddy made. You know, he wanted to go on his own terms. A woman was diagnosed with having dementia. She said she does not want to live with dementia. And the family gathered and the doctor arrived and killed her. Like you kill the dog. And the dog is old. That's your rule for you. And you tell me because... Power is not constant in your country. You know, look, you look at people and just say that they should go to hell. You know, you just look at people that God, no. I donate this brother to hellfire. Because the way, the way he's reasoning. That does morality mean anything to you? There's something I found out about God. He doesn't keep quiet forever. He may be slow to anger. Eventually, he gets there. And it's a terrible thing when he's angry. Tremble, O earth, before the Lord. You don't want to encounter him when he's angry. Let me tell you what happens when he's angry. One third of the earth dies in a few days. One third. One third. And after one third is dead, an eagle is still passing and shouting woe on those who are remaining. Listen, as believers, make up your mind. You want to live for Christ. Thank you. I'm explaining that there's nothing else worth living for. Nothing. There is nothing else worth living for. And if you accept to live for Christ, please oh, live for him. Don't live for him to impress me. Oh. So when you see Pastor Banky on the road, oh, Pastor Banky, ah, live for Christ. Amen. Then at night, you live for Satan. You live for yourself. You live for your neighbors. No. This life, there is nothing else. There's no other reason that one should live. There's nothing else to live for apart from Christ too. That's it. we should open somewhere. Which of the Johns now? John chapter 3. <laughs> when I see Christians running around for prosperity, it just makes me laugh. It makes me laugh. 
many of the things, places we are looking for prosperity from. God is looking and said, and he said, do you know that Sodom and Gomorrah was prosperous the night before I smoked them? You know, honestly, me, I just made up my mind this life. You know, I was thinking about it. eh? There are men who wanted to experience holiness. They locked themselves in the room. And not just lock up. They cement the door. And they leave a small hole so they can meditate. There's something they saw. I'm not agreeing with their method of pursuing it. Why? Because Jesus didn't do it like that. So there's no reason for me to go that way. But it's the same life we're all living. You know, this physical life. There must be something people saw that will make them be willing to do that. Take a man like Osama bin Laden. I remembered him a few days ago. A man who was successful, if you know how to define success, outside Christ. He was successful in his life. Let me give you what I mean by was successful. He had one goal. He told America, I will make you afraid everywhere you go. He's dead. They are still afraid. He's the reason why you go to the airport, you queue for a long time to get scanned right, left, and center. Remove your shoes. You can't take water on board. Although that's Osama bin Laden's legacy. You get to the airport. Please, guys, if you are going to the airport, all this your traditional trousers, don't wear it. Too. You're going to say, remove your belt. It's going to fall down. <laughs> Unless it's rope you used to tie. Just make sure you, if you want to wear traditional, just take the one they tie with rope. You remove your belt. Remove your shoes. They'll scan you. And they say, if you're carrying a laptop, you have to put it on. You know that? Before you could just carry your laptop. Now, you have to put it on. It has to boot. They have to be sure it's working. Because it could just be the shell which you are load, you've loaded explosives inside. So the proof they have is put it on. Why? Because Osama bin Laden said, I will make you fear. He said you will fear in your bedrooms. That's what he said to them. That's why I said the man is a success. He succeeded in this life. Outside Christ, that was success. When you achieve your aim, what are you talking about? But you know, that's, that's not why I'm talking about him. Many people did not know that before Osama bin Laden went to Afghanistan to go and start fighting the Russians to get out of Islamic land, the family was worth billions of dollars. Yet, he started living in caves. Caves. Going from one cave to the other. Let's summarize it. That's why he could succeed in life. If you know what I mean by success, for him. If he loves his dollars, you will never have heard of him. He will be another Saudi prince. He will live. He will die. And you will never know he existed. Jesus said, learn a lesson from the fig tree. I'm using a crazy life to show you what it means to be committed <laughs> to some things. I, just, I, th- I remember him a few days ago. I said, my father. He carried an AK-47 was going from, you know, wilderness to wilderness, eating in caves, living in caves, riding horsebacks, camels, spending money he could assess for the cause, for his own cause. Now, what I want to bring up from there is that, why will a man leave the kind of comfort that was available to him for that kind of life? I'll tell you the story of Abraham. The same reason Abraham did it. He saw something that was greater than what he could see now. The Bible says Abraham, he saw, was looking for a city. He had seen it. 
Just to locate it. So that city, the foundation and the builder is God. So it was easy for him to live in caves and move up and down. John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees, of course, I'm reading from verse 1. Named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Now Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Now, Bollinger explained this to me, reading him, that what he was saying here is that except unless one is born of water, but I'm not talking about physical water, I'm telling you about the water of the Spirit. Now, that second word was qualifying the first, all right? Basically like an adjective. Except one is born of water, even spiritual water, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Now, I'm going to stop reading here. Oh, okay. Okay, let's just read some more verses. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen. And you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, this is why I, why I wanted to read it. I wanted to read the next two, three verses. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God thus loved the world, that this was how God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the Son might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let me stop reading that here. But I just need to quickly... Because it's so important, I want us to just quickly read a few verses, one or two, from the Amplified Bible, just to emphasize the meaning of the word believe. Let's just go down to that verse, around that verse 16. He said, For God so loved the world, so greatly loved the world, and all of that, so that whoever believes in him, trusts in, clings to, relies on him, shall not perish. I want to emphasize the meaning of the word believe. 
that to believe means to cleave to, rely on, trust in. If I might use the expression or they borrow some words from James, the person must produce works that show that his faith or her faith is genuine. Not as if the works in themselves save. No. It is genuine faith that saves. It is just that if the faith is genuine, if the person really is relying on Jesus, clinging to him, and holding him tight, he said, as Moses lifted up his serpent in the wilderness, if you're going to read that same amplified about that, he said they are supposed to look at him steadfastly, expectantly. They had to have a steady and absorbing gaze. Not to come to church on Sunday, get a shifting seat title, and then live like an unbeliever on Monday. No, it doesn't work like that. Now, why do we read this portion? I want to introduce to us again what it means to be born again. That's not the main emphasis. The emphasis is that it is the doorway into the kingdom of God. It is the doorway into the kingdom. It is that entering the kingdom and living in the kingdom that's my emphasis in this season. I said something last time. I should repeat it again because I have to pick it up from there. That we can all be carrying human flesh. It does not mean we are all the same. I emphasized that, of course, to illustrate, there are angels who move around. They've come for these meetings before, Kingdom World meetings here. Though I did not know too, just like you, you, do not, you did not know. They came like normal people, took a seat, listened to me preach, wrote down what I was preaching, and went and filed it. I'm serious. They told the Lord this was what he preached. Sometimes they've dragged people up here in our former place. Say, come, you follow me. I have friends who have encountered them before. They tell you the story. You will get your own goose pimples when you're hearing the story. They walk around. They help children cross the road. One of our sisters gave a testimony once again. I said, Father, these people are real. She had lived as a good Christian all her days in secondary school, and she was just living in secondary school. And she made up her mind for certain reasons that she was tired. Weariness of soul came upon her. She said, I'm not doing it again. This Christianity, all this uh, holy, holy, holy is not necessary. And she left and she was going home, having made up her mind, having declared. Then she stood on the road, waiting for a bus. And one man stood directly opposite her and called her. Not called out to her, hey, called her. Me? Yes, you, you. I just want you to know that that life you have been living is the correct one. <laughs> said the man was across the road. The man just called this young girl's attention. And said, no, don't change it. That is the right way to live. I don't think she saw him after that. You know, if you don't listen, you should go to hell. What has the one got to do for you? Oh, she listened. That's how come I'm hearing the story. Oh, she listened. The Bible says people have entertained them unawares. Just to emphasize again, there is not everybody that carries this flesh that's human, that ordinarily human. In the same manner, there are people who live on this earth, they were human, born of the will of flesh. I hope you're getting my point. 
Then they became born again. And they were no longer ordinarily human after that. They became spirits, if I may use that expression. Because they had entered into the kingdom. After that, everything for them is different. They are flesh, right? So they eat food. But they are not eating the way the unbeliever eats. They are eating for a different reason. And what they are eating is different. So if you poison them, it can't kill them. So when a serpent bites them, they shake the serpent off and continue walking like nothing happened. I hope you're getting my point. Why? Because they're not human anymore. And their leader, their master, one day he had a lot of people follow him. He said, let's give them food. They said, food has finished. He said, give me a loaf of bread. Father, I thank you. He broke it. The bread filled up again. He broke it again. He filled up again. And he kept on breaking it as people were eating. You know why? He was not ordinarily human. You must know how to understand the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some of them that he did with an anointing. Some of them, he just his normal nature. Nothing special. Like, we are broke. We are supposed to pay money. Where's the money? There's no money, sir. Peter, take your fishing hook. Go down to the waters. Sing the hook down there. You are going to catch a fish. Bring it up. Open his mouth. Now listen, he didn't say, when you open his mouth, you will declare that there is money. He said to him clearly, open the mouth, there is a coin inside there. Take it. You can throw the fish back or give to somebody. But you just get the coin for me. It's enough for you to pay for you and for me. You could not leave him stranded. He was going somewhere one day. He said, how do we get there? He said, go to a particular place. You will see they tied an animal there. Nobody has ridden that donkey before. Bring it. When they say, why are you bringing it? He said to them, the master has need of it. Now, that is not a normal human life. But that was a normal Jesus' life. Let me explain something to you here. You know, there's something that Sadhu Sundar Singh, not Salvaraj now, Sundar Singh lived over by 100 years ago or more. He said something once. Now, we're not going to talk about what he said in details, but I just want to use it to bring out something. He said that he came to Europe. He was in England. And he laughed at them that you guys said that Indians worship a million gods. He said, but you all worship yourselves. He couldn't see the difference. None of us is worshipping Christ. You here, you are worshipping yourselves. And there are a million of you. So you have a million gods. <laughs> Back in India, we worship cow, worship tree, worship moon, worship cricket, worship mosquito, worship everything. They were all the same. Now, you see what I'm saying? But there's something, he, I, I don't know whether he wanted to said it, this or I said it. Okay, yes, I think he was, anyway, you know, you don't even know which one you said, you heard from somebody, it's just truth, it's just truth, which is why the person does not quote anybody. Forget me, I'm always quoting people. The person does not quote anybody. He said, once I've heard it, it's my own now, so leave it like that. <laughs> <laughs> once I've heard it, I've believed it, I read it until I'm convinced, and I say it. Now, what I wanted to say is this. Listen, the person 
who's worshipping himself, is actually inferior to the Hindu, the way the Hindu worships. Because the Hindu worship takes him to extents that show that he understands that life is beyond here. He knows there are forces superior to what you and I can see. So when you see his pattern of worship, he's trying to access that realm that exists beyond the one we can see. So if you ever heard of Buddhism, Buddhism started because a prince wanted to understand life properly. So he went meditating. And one day he said he achieved enlightenment. And then he began to teach other people. And that's what they now call Buddhism. But just like Salvaraj said, I knew that long before, that after I read the story of the Buddha, I said what they call Buddhism today could not have been what he found. It's not possible. Because God always respects those who diligently seek him. He sought God hundreds of years before Jesus, but he was not in Israel. So God must have revealed himself to him. But there's something about light you have to be careful. When the light was given to one person, it's difficult to pass across to other people. So it easily got corrupted. In fact, Savaraj was explaining, he was saying that God basically sent the communists there to lock down Tibet because the kind of Buddhism they practiced was pure occultism. So he so just told the Chinese, come on, close those guys down. They destroyed their temples and all of that. But what I'm talking, trying to bring out here is this, okay? That these men were seeking a life that is beyond the common. That was why Sundar Singh got to England. I was laughing at them. That what are you guys doing? You're just worshipping yourselves. Back in India, I see misguided people, at least they are looking for something. You see where I'm going? People of God, natural people know that there is a life beyond this natural. People don't know Christ. And I have read and seen the way they seek after it. I've told this story before. That day my wife and I sat down watching TV. And we saw people trying to attain enlightenment through very funny, strange ways. A man who kept his hand up and was going to keep it up for 12 years. Yes. One we saw, he had not sat down in 11 years. He had neither sat nor laid down in 11 years. And he was going to do it for 12. Of course, the first thing to think, are they crazy? I would have thought so if I didn't know enough about life. They are misguided, I will agree, that, I will agree to that. But they are not crazy. They just know something the average person does not know. They are trying to re- not reincarnate like a co- as a cockroach. They know, there's, no, they, they, know, they, they know there's life after now. They are trying to settle the life after now. They want to be enlightened. They want to see, not with common eyes. Believe me. You know what they are looking for? They do not know. Should I tell you the truth? They are looking for Christ. They just don't know. I want you to understand something. People who have a bit of knowledge, they have strained themselves. They got rid of worldly goods. Some of them will abandon their families. And they will climb the Himalayas and go and sit in a cave for years and years and years, meditating morning, afternoon, and night. 
If you, maybe you didn't notice I said Himalayas. I'm talking about cold. Mount Everest is on the Himalayas range. These are high mountains. Oh, I said cold because inside the caves, they are not dressed. They just have a loincloth. And they will cross their legs and meditate. <laughs> Respect something that they know there's a life to find. Many of us who are laughing at them, we don't even know there's anything beyond bread, bread and egg. That's all, that's all we think there's life. Okay, yes, buy a car and build a house. Those men, some of them can almost see through the house. They know it's empty. But you know Jesus came? I'm talking about not everybody is human. In fact, if I, I don't know whether it's right for me to add this on to If you go and read the um, Sadhusavaraj's book, I've, I've read the book, The Maharishi of Mount Kailash. The name sounds funny, right? <laughs> if you read the book, he'll tell you that there's a man living on the Malaya that is 400 years old. That that one is a Christian, is a persistent intercessor, and will not die until Jesus comes back. That all he does is pray, morning, afternoon, and night. Please, where am I going? That is my talk. But you know, <laughs> Jesus said, there is an entrance into the kingdom. These men are misguided, I agree with you. I'm not disagreeing with you at all. But I'm saying you that have the light, you that claim to have found the way, the truth, and the life, are you giving it the same kind of commitment that those men who are confused are giving it? You may say that there is confusion that's making them behave like that. I agree. But that commitment was what made their confusion produce that. Your own commitment in your having light, what has it produced? No, that's what I'm talking about. He said, Jesus said something. You must be born again. That when you are born again, you are entering, this is a first you see the kingdom. Then next, you enter into the kingdom. Now, this is, what I, this is what I believe. When you're born again, when you give your life to Christ, like the way we say it, all you have is a vision of the kingdom. Then day by day, by the kind of life you live, by the way you walk with God, you are pushing into the kingdom. That's why Jesus said from the days of John, the kingdom of God is preached. And every man is doing what? Pressing Pressing into it. What am I saying? These days, people are not pressing. I'm sorry. They are not pressing. They are not pressing. God is a tool for their worldliness. Yes, the tool for their worldliness. That is, we still want to build our kingdoms on the earth. That's what we still want. Then God has to cooperate. That is why we believe a lot of lies. Remember the young woman I was telling the story? I've not seen her in a long time. Or maybe I see her and I don't recognize her again. The one that said she did NYC. And she gave all her allowance as offerings in her church every month. Everything. And like I say, what's wrong with that? It's your money. You can do what you like with it. Amen? Except that she suffered. She told me, say, I suffered. She said, I suffered. I was very thin. I could not eat. No money to transport myself. My question was now, why? And she answered, they told us that is how to prosper. 
That's the point I'm making. They told us, this is how to prosper. She was not striving for the kingdom. She was striving for what? Prosperity. She is just as misguided as a man who's raising his hand for 12 years. In fact, more misguided. She's just as misguided. I described something just now. That when a man is born again, when a woman is born again, she's no longer average. She's now living in the kingdom. So we agreed. First, you have a glimpse of it. Seeing that we have these promises, Paul said. So what do we start doing? We start cleansing ourselves of all defilement of flesh and spirit. Now, I want to rephrase that expression slightly. Perfecting holiness so as to enter fully into the kingdom. So basically, we have a vision of the kingdom. But he said to enter it fully, every day you are perfecting holiness. You are cleansing yourself of all defilement of flesh and of spirit. Bear that in mind. I said something, I've been saying it again and again. So we are not all human beings, normal human beings. Now what I want to say is this. Each one of us, through this pressing into the kingdom, we have to decide in which realm do we want to live. A lot of Christians have chosen to live the common human realm. Are you getting my point? But using the promises of the kingdom. I don't know what I, got, what I said there. That is, okay, look at this principle of seed and harvest that people would preach all the time. You know, America has laws, amen? No, that's not a lie. They have laws. Okay? American laws, do they work in Nigeria? Do they tell the people in Nigeria you have the right to remain silent? I don't know. <laughs> they are supposed to? Okay. America has laws. They have all kinds of laws. But once you bring them to Nigeria, they're no longer effective. Why did I say that? Do you know many of the laws preachers preach and they take Christians to operate by? They are laws of the kingdom. They don't walk in people's soul into the flesh. That's been the problem. We take the laws of the kingdom. Then we give them to people sowing into the flesh. And no matter where you get the law from, he that sows to the flesh, we from the flesh report corruption. Let me give you an example. Can I get you to preach something? He said the Lord gave me a revelation. Now, I don't want to discuss the revelation in detail. And sometimes when, you are, when God gives somebody an understanding, when he passes it across to somebody else, a lot of things have been mixed up in the process. But let's just get the basic thing he was trying to say. That God said to him, anytime he needs money, all he needs to do is pray. Pray in a particular way. Claim the money. Rebuke, this, the, the, rebuke the devil from holding back his finances. And claim the exact amount he needs. And that there are money he will always get. And he said he, he started doing it. And first time he tried it, he was a bit shaky. But the Lord just forgave him. And he claimed like $150 for next week. And the $150 came. And the following week he decided he needed $150. It was a weekly thing. So assuming now he's coming to preaching. And he was a preacher, of course. So what he lived by, where most of his money came from gifts, offerings. He comes to preach, you give a preacher honorarium. Sometimes he's leaving somebody in the church. Says, Sir, you have been a blessing. They, transfer, they give him some cash. So what he found out that is that exactly what he prayed for, if he asked for 
$50, he gets between 150 and 155 Maybe 154 155 152 It always worked like that. In fact, one day, he asked God for a certain amount. Let's assume now, just to make it easy, $200. They counted the offering in the church that day. That was the only money he was going to get. And guess how much it was? $180. So to the pastor, something's wrong. Let's count again. He was so sure that God does not fail. I hope you get my point. He said, let's count again. They counted again, it was $180. I can't remember the exact figure. I just picked this number to illustrate it easily. Then they counted again. Ah, he told the pastor, no, something's wrong. So he divided the money into two. He gave the pastor half. He counted the other half. They counted, they totaled it, 180. He switched the other. He said, this money is complete. That's how sure he was that God, is not, God does not fail. Then suddenly he remembered that when he was coming for service that day, one woman gave him an envelope. He opened it and it was $20. His money was complete. So you know what happened? We young boys began to learn it. Hey. We will sit down, collect, and claim. One thing that I noticed... All my brethren, including me, I can't remember how many times I did it, but a lot of my brethren, they didn't get nothing. They claim 5,000 naira, they get 500 nothing. <laughs> they want the Holy Spirit to let me to understand something. Look at you foolish people. Let me tell you what's wrong with you people. Did you notice that Ken Higgin always claimed 150, 120, 300, 200? Did this strike you? Therefore, that there was no covetousness in his claiming. He always claimed the basic minimum he needed. If it was like that to just work on anything, why did he not claim $1,000? Why did he not claim 2000 If he was just, just claiming it, why did he not claim ten? Was he a gluten for punishment? Why was he not claiming a million dollars? Why would the same man say he believes God for a car? He kept on confessing. Until a man gave him car he paid for his small, small. Did it cross your mind that there was a restriction to that ability to claim? Basically, this is what, this point I'm going to make. In the realm in which that principle was working, it did not cross his heart to look for security for tomorrow. God said, I give you my principles. It cannot take my lordship out of your life. I give you my principles. It cannot take the, the role I play in your life. A friend of mine went to school. I said, how much would you like to ask God for? That time it was big money. Naira was about 10, between 4 and 10 Naira to the dollar. I meant, what kind of immediate needs do you have? Now he said, no, I will ask God for 2 billion. Now that's like in today, asking God for 1 billion dollars. I said, why? He said, so I will not have to ask him again. I said, that's why I won't give you. You want him to give you something to make you independent of him? That is the exact meaning of eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That tree was supposed to make them independent. I said, God does not answer such prayers. So many of us, when we began to claim, you know what we're claiming? Covetousness. We saw a new pair of shoes. This is what is raining now. So we began to claim and claim. We wanted to claim things that would make God irrelevant in our lives, number one. And number two, which will make us more worldly than ever before. So it did not work. And that's what's happening to you today. People are teaching the principles of the kingdom to those who are not trying to enter the kingdom. 
We are teaching the principles of the kingdom to those who are not trying to enter the kingdom. You teach the principles of the kingdom to those who want to lay up treasure on the earth. So they say, sow a seed. So he sows a seed so he can reap a harvest to build a house that his grandchildren will inherit. So they say, sow a seed. He sows a seed to reap a harvest so he can buy justice. He's not pressing into the kingdom. The principles don't work. Let me leave it here. What I'm trying to explain to us today, I've just gotten to the edge of it, that we all have to make up our minds the realm in which we want to live in this life. You make up your mind, I want to live in the realm of Christ. It's a realm. Then God starts cutting off the things that tie you to this common earth. See, see, we are talking pure Christianity. We are talking what? Pure and hot Christianity. That's what Jesus is asking for. And he said, everyone that names my name should make up his or her mind the realm in which he or she wants to live. You will see, the other day I was giving an example here. I said, I said it jokingly that some people will say that, ah, they forget Pastor Bank, this one he's saying. And I said, you can say all you want. That was on a Tuesday. I said, the truth is that I'm telling you the truth. I said, but what I was saying was not nice. Why? It does not fit feminism. That's where I'm going. I was talking about marriage. Remember that. I said that an average wife spends more time because, listen, basically, let me drop that briefly. Basically, women are very badly taught when it comes to marriage. That's my experience. Okay? Very, very. I'm not saying all the time. Most of the time. They are taught obedience. They are not taught submission. The person comes to teach submission, but it teaches obedience. Obedience is for children. So there's a lot of conflict in the, in the homes because of the teaching of obedience. Now, for that reason, okay, now, you've heard me say this before. My own assessment as at this year, last year, I've not assessed it again this year, but as at last year, <laughs> my assessment was that Christian men, now women, I love you. Amen? Yeah. Ask my wife, I love you. She knows, she's the, she's a sign of my love. Amen? If you're a woman here, just say, Pastor Banky loves me. <laughs> Please, now I'm begging you. I really need it. I need it to be able to preach my message. Uh, see, they, they, are, they are revolting now. <laughs> yeah, Apostle. Things are bad. <laughs> okay. Say, Pastor Banky loves us. That one is easy, Abby. Some, some people say, lie, lie. I don't trust you. Say what you want to say first. Can you see that? Lack of faith. Believe also is prophets. Hmm? Okay. If you like, don't receive it. I love you, Sha. Amen. But what I want to say is not, I'm not dividing us. We are correct. I'm, in fact, you see, I'm not indicting you. Okay? My experience observing men and women for years now, okay, is that generally, I'm not saying all the time, don't come and tell me, oh, guy, you don't know my, my husband. My husband is a real crazy one. I know. I have seen him before. He's not normal. I agree. I'm just trying to say. <laughs> I'm saying generally. 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 Christian. Christian. Not men, generally. Christian. True believers. The men have done better in pleasing God in the principles of marriage than the women. Generally. Now, it's not their fault. The fault is here. Where's the fault? 
the preachers, the pulpit. Why did the men do better? It is simple. They were constantly instructed better. The reason that being that they were farther behind the plan of God. So when the church began to instruct, they focused more on instructing the men, and they instructed the men well. Love your wife has been well thrashed out. They've thrashed it out. Ah, you should be devoted. You can't commit adultery. You can't do this one. You must be devoted. Your wife must be your confidant. You must, your, wife, your wife must own everything you have. They've, look, they've, since we started going to church, we're hearing it. When I was on campus, we were instructed to teach, treat our sisters well. It was a commandment from the elders of the fellowship. You know, I told you before that our sisters used to now up. They now turned themselves to oppressors. They used to oppress us like crazy. They will come, all of them wearing these skimpy blouses and coming feeling very fine on a night that it is cold to fellowship. So when we are doing this, is that of course everybody is warm. Hey, we are dancing. Once we sit down, they start preaching. <sighs> Breeze now blowing. <sighs> and they will start shivering. You now see all the brothers will be removing our jackets. We were wise, you know? We were wise virgins. You remember? We came with our coats. Knowing the cold will happen. I don't want to call the women the, the foolish anything, but all I know is that... They, you know, they were collecting our coats. One day I had to protest that. You guys know it's going to be cold. Why don't you make preparations? One sister said, that, what if you don't have jackets? I said, Bob, you get a wrapper now. If you roll the wrapper, put her inside a bag. They used to oppress us. But you know, we did not mind. We took pride in it that we're being, you know, we're, we're taking care of our sisters, our future wives. Praise God. <laughs> We've been taught for a long time. But unfortunately, when they would teach us, love your wives, they would teach the women, they would call it submission, but they taught them obedience. So the women were badly taught, generally. They were taught two things. Obedience, which is for children, and witchcraft, which is for unbelievers. What is witchcraft? How to manipulate your husband until he does what you want. That's witchcraft. A lot of the cooking they tell women to do is witchcraft. That you know what he likes. You give it to him, you lose control. Tease me, tease me, tease me, baby, till I lose control. That's what they were practicing. That, that. So... <laughs> So it was witchcraft. <laughs> How did I get here? <laughs> I know I got there. <laughs> so last time I was not explaining to people, all right? I know I got there. I just wanted to summarize, just explain why I got to that point. I was not explaining to, to brethren that, listen, that's here on Tuesday. I think last week, Tuesday. That's it. This is what submission is. Submission is very simple. Is um, oh no, no, if I start explaining it, you will have too many questions. So let me leave it. But I now said that more that women spend more because yeah, that's why I, I had to explain that. I had to explain that because of this. So because obedience was taught to women, they learned to spend more of their energy arguing their points rather than submitting their positions. 
Because the woman has been taught, obey, obey, which is not what the Bible says. The Bible says you should submit. There's a word of difference. Okay? There's some similarity, but there's also a word of difference. So the person would rather say, since I cannot do what I want to do until the boss says so. So I spent 30 minutes arguing my point. And like those days, my wife would say, you are not listening. I said, I heard you clearly. I just disagree. <laughs> because she couldn't understand. If you heard me, you would agree. I said, no, I heard. I said, okay, let me tell you what you said. I go to the point one after the other. No, be so. I heard. I don't agree. No, no, how can you not agree? That means you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because our women folk have been taught obedience. So they needed to get what they want to do done. So they will talk until you agree. Meanwhile, the Bible says, submit. In the process of trying to achieve the principle of obedience, they break the law of submission. I'm not teaching in details now. I said it that day, I knew some people, eh? So you spend more energy submitting? Yes. Because there is a joy that he placed inside that marriage principle that you don't enter with common sense. You enter by being born again. What does it mean to be born again? To die. Our old man was what? Buried. So you are resurrected to a new life, a new way of thinking, a new way of doing things. I said it the other time. Christianity is death. It's dying to your natural self. Let me stop here. This is what I'm going to say. That we all have to make up our minds. In which realm do I want to walk? To walk in the realm, I said we're not all human beings, right? Remember that? So those of us who have accepted to become supernatural, let me use the word, to become spirits, it's not by desire. It's by cutting off every entanglement, things that hold you down that will prevent you from swearing. So Jesus said, listen, except you are born again, except your old man dies, except the new life comes into that area of your life, you can't enter into the kingdom. And the desire of every child of God must be to enter into the kingdom. And it's a striving thing. It's not just a confessing thing. I, get, I told that whole story about that submission thing because to the natural woman, that's madness. Talk to a feminist. In fact, a lot of people who don't believe they are feminists, talk to them. You know that they are not ready for the kingdom of God. They are ready for a happy marriage, you think. They are ready for to be happy, have children, have a beautiful home. But the kingdom of God, they are not ready for it. Because Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom, you have to fight. He said, narrow is the way. Straight is the gate. That is, tight is the gate that leads to life. Know the truth? Very few people find it. When you see church on Sundays where multitudes there, don't be impressed. That was how they followed Jesus. Among those who followed him, a very small proportion were his true disciples. Amongst disciples, only few were ready to follow him till death. Only few were ready to die to self. Only few were ready to enter into the kingdom with him. <laughs> James and John came and said, can we sit on your left and your right? He said, my brother, my brothers, these things don't come by desires. 
they come by the kind of sacrifice you are ready to make. Let me get back to the beginning and I close it there. For the kingdom of God to be established outwardly on the earth, we have to have enough people who are ready to strive to enter into the kingdom. Please, I'm asking you, drop your worldly ambitions. It's not a house that you need. It's not a car that you need. It's not plenty of money that you need. It's not a wife that you need. It's not a husband that you need. It's not material success that you need. What you need is to enter into God's kingdom. When you, find, when you enter that king's, into that kingdom, you start finding things you never knew existed. I don't want to even tell you about the beautiful things inside the kingdom unless you become covetous and try to enter it with a bad heart. I just want you to know that you will be where Christ wants you to be. And then Christ will be able to replicate himself through you on this earth. Listen to me, people of God. The time will come, and it will come shortly, that men will stand on the sea and say, peace be still. And like the sea obeyed Jesus, it will obey them even now. Men will get bullets. Now listen to what I want to say. A gun will be aimed at men, women of God. And the Holy Spirit will raise their hands and they will catch the bullets and toss it back to the man who fired. And they will say, listen, toss your gun into the holder. This is not the time to fire bullets. I'm telling you, those are operations of those who live in God's kingdom. Jesus said, if I, by the finger of God, cast out demons from amongst you, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's why Jesus will fall asleep. You know? A corona, corona, corona. Every day, wash your hand, wash your hand, wash your hand, wash your hand. Wash your hand, wash your hand. Wash your hand is good hygiene, amen? But may God not blow corona in your face. So forget this thing. <laughs> But people in the kingdom, they are the ones Jesus spoke to. They shall pick up deadly, pick up serpents, not hurt them. They will eat deadly things. They will not be hurt by it. Ah, I like the testimony of a man like John Graham Lake. Before I tell you this testimony, let me tell you his sacrifice. He was a rich man in his days. The call of God came upon him. He sold everything he had till he had to believe God for money to go on missions. But while he was on the missions plague that I told you could wipe out villages, wipe out towns. Plague came. Men were sick around him left, right, and center. And he was ministering to the sick. They said, you will not take any, you know, any protection, anything. He said, no. And there's no need that the bacteria causing the disease cannot survive on my skin. He said to them, matter of factly, that my spirit is connected to God and wired to my brain. And my brain by nerves is connected to all my skin. That the life of God flows from him into my skin. No protection, nothing. He ministered to people who were dying. The record, they even said that they tested it. They said, put the bacteria on my skin. Check whether they can live. It was tested. They could not live. He said, don't worry about it. Then he had his friend, the last Letwaba. They went into the bush. And prayed until God showed them the, spirit, the spiritual realm. And they saw the demons killing people. And they drove the spirits out, uh, out of the region. And plague began to die the next day. You know what we want to do? We want to be worldly and walk in that realm. Thank you. Not lie. It does not work. 
Let's bow down our heads. Let's go home. Please say to the Lord, the kingdom, the kingdom, that's where I want to walk.